What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the uh, Run Your Mouth podcast. It's uh, nice to have you here today. Sadly, it's uh, once again, it's a solo operation. Yosef is uh, off at his day job. We're recording Friday morning, pissing off the neighbors once again. Um, so if you don't like the solo episodes, get the fuck out of here. All right. Well, dudes, we got a lot to discuss, and uh, I'm going to hop right into it. Yosef's not here, so we don't need to catch up on Thanksgiving. We can get right into grinding the news, and I want to talk about all these women's issues. Um, so in the macro, I hope you guys are enjoying the dead in the background. Um, if not, that will also fade away. Okay. So let's talk about some of these wish- women's issues. So in the macro, I got to say, I think what's going on is probably a good thing. I mean, if we're legitimately getting rid of some people who are being super creepy in the office in the macro, it's, it's, it's probably a good thing for everybody, but I think it's uh, not unfair to say that you read these stories in the media and that you don't trust them. Um, And the reason for that is because whenever I read things in the newspaper, you just come across a lot of bullshit. So, for example, yesterday, comedian Kevin Beery tweeted an article from Attitude Magazine. I don't know what the fuck Attitude Magazine is. It might be the onion of England for all I know. And I got totally, they got me on this one. But this article came across my storyline, and so this isn't the New York Times, but to me, this is a pretty good example of sometimes where, like, what you're reading is La La Land compared to the actual life that you're living. So this is from Attitude Magazine, and the article is, New study finds straight men in bromances often kiss and cuddle. Let's investigate. It turns out bromances are real after all. A new study published in Sex Roles, a journal of research... And you know that it's got to be the world's greatest scientific research magazine when they have to call themselves the Journal of Research. (laughs) You know, like, it it seems a little bit desperate. Like, we're the science magazine, a place for smart scientists. Okay, so asked a series of in-depth questions to 30 British undergraduate sports students to try and discover what what straight men really get up to with their best friends. And by the way, when they say sports students, it's like, it probably was like the ballerina team or something. All right, let's continue. The results were surprising and suggested that when behind closed doors, heterosexual men don't let masculinity get in the way of forming close bonds. Participants suggested, for example, that a romantic friend was someone who is literally there for you all the time and will always be there to back you up if needed, said researcher Adam White. Really playing up the science card here. It was researcher Adam White. A bromance is between friends whose mutual support is perceived as limitless and unwavering. All of the participants said they had at least one relationship they would class as a bromance. So, first and foremost, I'm a man. I got a lot of close friends. I've never described a relationship with one of my friends as being a bromance. So, I don't know who these 30 people are that they managed to have a conversation with that every single one of them has a bromance. Even more interestingly, all but one of the men asked that they regularly engaged in non-sexual physical intimacy, such as kissing, cuddling, and spooning with their best friend. And you know what? I, I got some complaints on my best friends. You know, I'm, I'm a single lonely dude. None of them have ever come over here and cuddled, spooned, or kissed with me. It's <laughs> just me the last line. All but one of the men interviewed engaged in cuddling and spooning their bromances. The most had, uh, and most had kissed their bromance, said White. 
They said things like, you can lie in bed with your bromance, have a cuddle, and just talk. So, let's just understand that stories like this exist in the news. I'm a dude. I know a lot of other dudes. Spend most of my time hanging out with other dudes. And I don't know a single person who's living this lifestyle. Is a, a, like, I mean, if you are, God bless. It's 2017. I'm not shaming your bromance. All I'm saying is they're reporting this like this is the way everyone lives their life. And I don't know a single person who lives their life that way. So, just understand stories come out that you read on your computer that are published as being scientific and news that we can all just look at and go, okay, this is complete and total nonsense. So with that being said, just because something's in a newspaper or someone's making an allegation, it's hard to go, all right, this is, this is truth. This came down from God himself. Um, but now I have to agree. Like, I don't think that, you know, women should have to like, um, the women shouldn't have sex expectations at work. That shouldn't happen. Like, that's a being-at-home activity. You know, like, dealing with some dude you don't want to have sex with who expects it, like, that's why women get married. You don't want to deal with that at work. Um, and I kind of hope that they... I, I want to I see them bust enough men. That's what I want to see happen. I want to see them go on a campaign and just bust enough people that at some point, you know, I can apply to Fox News and just put on my resume, like, not a sexual harasser. <laughs> Like that, that's all you, you know, you'll sit down with them and they'll be like, what makes you qualified for the job? And you'll be like, well, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't touched a single lady. And they're like, oh wow, you're hired. That's perfect. That That's all you need to say. Um, and, uh, I think with all of this is going on, all the dudes that have got it busted, I think we're not doing enough to kind of thank, you know, some of the women who have kept their mouth shut. <laughs> Because you got to realize that, like, we're just a couple stories away from never being able to listen to Led Zeppelin again. Like, I'm sure, I have no evidence of this, but I'm sure Led Zeppelin just touched every, like, even your dad, anyone who went to a con, like, Led Zeppelin, you know, but there's some people that are just like, I want you to guys to continue to have Led Zeppelin in your life. I don't want to be the person who ruins Stairway to Heaven. Like, sure, you know, that was weird what happened backstage, but I like that song too, so I'm just going to keep this one to myself. That one's dark. I'd love to turn that one into a stand-up joke, but I don't think it's going to happen. All right, let's move on. So I want to qualify men who do criminal shit to women is wrong. In case you were confused about that, that's the world we live in. You need qualifiers like this. You know, you almost need to do them like ad reads. You got to come in the middle and go, I'm going to come out and say it. If you were confused, I'm 100% anti-rape. Um, I wouldn't even call myself pro-creepy. <laughs> But I got some more jokes on this, so let's keep going. Um, but here's the big thing. Anyone who's doing anything illegal, like, obviously, I'm not I'm not for that. And if there are incidences here where these are real cases of sexual harassment, then it's great that these people are being taken down. And it's also great if, you know, workplaces become more inviting for whoever has to work there. I agree with that 100%. But what I am seeing is people kind of looking at these examples of what's going on and then trying to make cultural statements of the evil of men and everything that's wrong in the world. And I don't know that that extension is true. So I want to continue to explore that. But first, let's take a look at the Charlie Rose incident. And I heard about, you know, he's out there and he's, uh, he's opening up his robe. He's flashing the ladies. And I got to say, I kind of want the numbers. Like if Charlie Rose has done this to a hundred people and gotten laid 99 times, I'm like, go Charlie. 
you know, <laughs> you seem to have a pretty good working technique here. And on that on that note, I was doing a little research for that uh, that Zeppelin joke to see how much of a creep those guys were. But I came across this article in the New York Post um, by this guy, rock drummer Carmen Apice. He co-wrote a number one song with Rod Stewart, and he played with everyone from Jeff Beck to Pink Floyd. And here's a story he has in his book about being a rock and roll star. So the four of us disappeared into the bathroom, emerging a minute later, butt naked. A couple of girls freaked out and ran out of the room. Most of them didn't. Let's just call it a process of natural selection. We had an amazing sex party with the girls who were left. So... The liberals, you know, in this world would look at this and go, hey, that's the most horrifying thing that you did. Look at you made those women who ran out of the room feel uncomfortable, feel like they couldn't hang out without being objects for sex. But then like, well, what about the other, you know, the, the women who hang out who might have had the greatest night of their entire life? I mean, like this guy's being, being pretty upfront. He's like, we just walked out naked. Some chicks were into it. Some chicks weren't like. So I don't know. How do you define that story? All right, let's move on with Charlie Rose accusations. So this was from Decider.com. Um, Yosef's not here, so there's no reason to read the article number. Maybe I will. There's a lot of numbers here. I'm going to go for it. You guys ready for this? This is going to be big. Let's see how quickly I can get through the article number. 2.19072989399.95 Oh, fuck. I, for- I fucked that up. There aren't two twos. Let's take that again from the top. Let's do this really quick. I'm, uh, I'm practicing. I'm going to become a fucking auctioneer. Let's do it. 2.19072989 Three nine point five nine eight zero three zero one two seven point one five one one seven one nine nine zero nine dash one six four three seven two zero zero four eight point one five one one seven one nine 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 zero nine. All right, there you go. Let's make that the uh, the Rob's newsroom challenge. If you can read the article number from Decider <laughs> faster than me. Rob's newsroom at gmail.com. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a prize going. World's dumbest game. Okay, but let's read what happened in this article. But a person who watched CTM every morning um, until my daughter came along three years ago, I can tell you that fans of the show were well aware of the sexual banter between Rose and co-anchor Gail King. And I've got to say, sometimes it was so creepy, it put me off my morning, my morning bagel and cream cheese, and I'm sure many people felt the same. But to be fair, like, I watched Charlie Rose ask just, like, men questions about their career, and even that was creepy. Like, the, the, Charlie Rose cannot be creepy. Like, I can't imagine this guy ever even fornicating in a way that wouldn't give you the willies. Um, okay, and then here is another one. Washington Post. It, um, it has taken 10 years and a fierce moment of cultural rec- reckoning for me to understand these moments for what they were, she told the Post. He was a sexual predator, and I was the victim. Now I ask you this. If you're truly a victim, does it take 10 years to figure that out? Like, if someone punched me in the face, I don't need a cultural shift to go, hey, what that guy did was wrong. You're not supposed to punch me in the face. But um, I, I did more uh, more reading on the Charlie Rose, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're going to give him the stamp of the creep. I'm passing judgment on Charlie Rose. I never liked the, his show. I never liked anything he did. I got, no, I got no reason to defend him, and it just sounds like uh, that might actually be a good example of, uh, you know, uh, like uh, sexual harassment in a workplace kind of thing. It seems like maybe just the news segments of society might be um, a little bit fucked up. And isn't that fucked up that these are the people we're getting our news from? I never even I, I never even think about that. Like this is like the the maybe that's why there's so much like news about this. You know, like um, about all these uh, abusive environments for women because all the people who are working in the news actually like have an abusive environment. Like you can go somewhere else and it's not that bad. I don't know. Maybe. 
Um, then the next guy they took down this week was Matt Lauer. And um, unlike Charlie Rose, I, I wish I could defend Matt Lauer because I feel like all us balding men, we got to stick together. Like, that's really why I went out for Louie. You know, we're, we're in the bald camp. That's my community. We, we got to, if we're not going to stick up for other bald people, you know, who is? But Matt Lauer, you know, I actually haven't read any of the stories, but um, they posted a video of when he was caught just being a total fucking creep, dude. I mean, you got to look at it, it, it. You got to go watch this video. It's on TMZ. Uh, Matt Lauer caught. You can you can type this into your computer. Matt Lauer caught on video telling Meredith Vieira, keep bending over. Nice view. And you just got to see his eyes are like it's like the devil's inside of him it, 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 it he he does have that vibe of like i'm like i'm your overlord kind of thing so let's listen to what he has to say and then we got to look up this chick let's see if she's hot pretty sweater can you bend it over like that it's a nice view and then he just he like he just gets himself ready to do the broadcast Oh, man. Caught on camera. That's the thing. What If you're caught, you're caught, dude. Like, that's it. The, the video's right there. You're in the workplace. Unless maybe he was banging that chick on the side. I don't know. So, yeah, it seems like in the... Uh, it seems like, you know, some of these people in the... In, 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 some of the more recent allegations, some of the people in the news, it seems like what they were doing probably was inappropriate. So, I'm on team. Let's get rid of creeps and sexual predators. I'm the professional protester. If you guys are going to have that protest and a whole bunch of hot women are going to come out that I can hit on, I'll, I'll show up. I'll do my part. But my question for you, the jury, the listeners of this podcast, is this really an indictment of all men? Is this like U.S. culture is completely broken, that all men are in power and women are victims and we have to change the way everybody's interacting with each other? So I came across a New York Times op-ed and the article was, sorry, don't have the, uh, the number, but the article was The Unexamined Brutality of the Male Libido. Let's read that headline again. The Unexamined Brutality of the Male Libido. All right, let's take a look. Men arrive at this moment of reckoning woefully unprepared. Most are shocked by the reality of women's lived experience. Almost all are uninterested or unwilling to grapple with the problem at the heart of all this, the often ugly and dangerous nature of the male libido. For most of history, we've taken for granted the implicit brutality of male sexuality. In 1976, the radical feminist and, pornogra- and pornography opponent and- Andre Dworkin said that the only sex between a man and a woman that could be undertaken without violence was sex with a flaccid penis. Because that's every woman's dream. Every dream. Like, yeah, that's what you hear from women as being the ideal sex, as someone with a flaccid penis. I wish that was true. I'd be killing it. Dude, you know how often you get too hammered and, and your dick ain't working right? Like, if that was true, I'd be like a golden prospect for these chicks. And, like... How, if that was true, how would sex even, like, what, what would that even look like? Like, the, what would the sexual process be? It's like women foreplay, they're getting self-ready, sitting there, they're naked, and, like, the dude's just there, like, punching himself in the dick, like, shit, you look good, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm down, fuck, you know? Stupid, dude. All right, let's read the next line. This is from the New York Times, people. Next line from the article. I think that men will have to give up their precious erections. As if, like, there's dudes walking around in open robes with big boners just going, my precious, my precious. And, like, dude, I've had an unwanted erection. It's not fun. All right, let's continue. I think that all men 
will have to give up their precious erections, she wrote. In the 3rd century AD, it is widely believed that the that the great Catholic theologian, uh, I don't know, Origen, working on roughly the same principle, like this this was... <laughs> This was a high philosophical principle that, like, like it was like Newton concluded it, and some guys like I better take this theory and put it into practice. So how did he put it into practice? He castrated himself. That's the art working on roughly the same principle. Castrated himself. So what, like, what, what was this guy trying to say? Like maybe castration is good. Like how's that be for being a, a feminist? Like I think women are so precious. I've removed my genitals. I prostrate myself to my women overlords. Like who wants that? Like, would that be what marriage will look like? You know, like, you, you find some lady that you, you like, so you, you remove your genitals, and maybe that's, like, the new way you get engaged. You give them the severed genitals, you just get down on one knee, and you're, like, you, you just kind of, you know, instead of a ring, you just hold up your severed penis. All right, let's continue. Once again, this is the New York Times, everybody. Fear of the male libido has been the subject of myth and of fairy tale from the beginning of literature. What else were the stories of Little Red Riding Hood or Bluebeard's Castle about? By the way, before I continue here with this nonsense, I th I'm going to pull like the, the more ridiculous. I don't know that this is a straight read of the article, but I encourage you to check it out. Um, this is the general flow. We're going to make my argument at the end. I'm pulling out the more ridiculous parts of it, but I don't know that this is close to a straight read, but it's not, it's not like a totally straight read. It's not like I'm being fact-checked. I don't know why I just broke the flow, but what else were the stories of Little Red Riding Hood or Bluebeard's Castle? I had to look up Bluebeard's Castle. I'm not that cultural. It's some French thing about some dude who was, um, you know, doing horrible things towards women. Little Red Riding Hood, though, I don't know how that's a tale of the male libido. If anything, that's about some dumb bitch grandmother couldn't do anything about a wolf until a dude out of the forest came and saved him. So I don't know what this person's talking about. Let's continue. A vampire is an ancient and powerful man with an insatiable hunger for young flesh. Werewolves are men who regularly lose control of their bestial nature. Get the point? There's a line, obviously, between desire and realization, and some cross and some don't. But a line is there for every man. And until we collectively confront this reality, the post-Weinstein public discussion where men and women go from here will begin from a place of silence and dishonesty. And I love this concept of, like, we're going to, like, re- write history where as opposed to being eight, like pre-AD and post-AD, it'll be like before Weinstein, you know, like uh, the US, we had roads and cars and then 150 years post-Weinstein is when they finally upgraded to the flying railway. Let's continue. A healthy sexual existence requires a continuing education and men have the opposite. There's sex education for boys, but once you leave the school, the traditional man's of, uh, demands of masculinity return. Show no vulnerability. Solve your own problems. Men deal with their nature alone and apart. Ignorance and misprison are the norms. So I, I want to re read that first line. A healthy sexual existence requires a continuing education and men have the opposite. So is this guy thinking like if we could just get these rapists into class... <laughs> <laughs> if we could just have a rape class and educate some of these men that rape is wrong, we could really fix society. Because that's the issue here, right? It's men who are engaging in criminal activity. I mean, that's the issue. And so, yeah, let's get a class for them. Oh, no, like, it's all of it. Like, there's a cultural problem. All of us are a problem because of the incidents that are going on with these people, except for you, the one dude who's in calling, calling out the inherent evil in all other men. That's the one thing that gets you out of the cultural inherent evil of men is that you'll call it out in everyone else. All right. Let's continue. I hope you're enjoying this. Sex is an impediment to any idealism, which is why the post-Weinstein era will be an era of gender pessimism. The crisis we are approaching... 
is fundamental. How can healthy sexuality ever incur in conditions which men and women are not equal? How are we supposed to create an equal world when male mechanisms of desire are inherently brutal? By the way, uh, male mechanisms of desire are inherently brutal. I don't even know what he means by that. We cannot answer these questions unless we face them. So what I'm kind of reading from this article or getting from this guy's vibe, it kind of sounds to me like religion where it's like born with sin, but it's only men that since men are born and they got testosterone and they're horny, um, like there's something inherently evil with them. Like women are fine. They don't have that. But men, there's a problem. There's an inherent brutality to men in their nature that needs to be fixed. And so where I think you go to next, this is the leap, but I almost feel like this is where they're going to go is that we should start referring to women. Women are actually the better sex because they don't have to deal with this inherent brutality. The inherent brutality is a flaw in man that does not exist in women. And so therefore we should start realizing that women are better than us and we should start referring to them. We should give women the power to make decisions for everybody because they are free and clear from this horrible sin of in, of in, inherent brutality. You see, it's like it's religion. It's like you men have this flaw that women don't have. So let's refer to women. It's like women aren't as horny as men, so they can make better decisions. Now, what's crazy about that, this is like the flip side of kind of when people were saying, hey, women are hormonal. And so like we couldn't trust like a chick as being president. And everyone was like, hey, that's sexist. That's horrible. We're all the same. So what, what, what happened to that thing of like, hey, we're all equal and the same? Because this is the opposite. This is saying that there's an inherent flaw in women. I mean, an inherent flaw in men. And so to me, the, the conclusion from there is like, well, th- then we better start referring to women. They don't have this inherent flaw. Um, then the other thing I was thinking is, um, or the other option is maybe they try and like, uh, I, I mean, this I'm, I'm stretching, you know, maybe what this guy's logic is. But so what's next if you're trying to fix us? So it seems like the way that they usually try and fix us is they'll medicate us with some, with some drugs. So what are they going to try and give us like the, the, the non horny drug? Cause what would be funny about that is you guys remember that, uh, that Seinfeld episode where George's not having sex and suddenly he's becomes like a, a brilliant human being. So imagine, I guess if they made some drug that made men not horny and then all of a sudden we became like unbelievably productive and then women are like, fuck, I can't get a job anywhere. I preferred when these guys were uh, horny and sexually harassing me. At least I could work somewhere. All right, let's play that clip from that Seinfeld episode and move on. What is tungsten or wolfram? We were looking for what is tungsten or wolfram. (laughs) Is this a repeat? (laughs) Just lately, I've been thinking a lot clearer. Like this afternoon with his chicken Kiev. I really enjoyed... Watching a documentary with Louise. Louise, that's what's doing it. You're no longer preoccupied with sex, so your mind is able to focus. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I mean, let's say this is your brain, okay? Now, from what I know about you, your brain consists of two parts. The intellect, represented here, and the part obsessed with sex. Now, granted, you have extracted an astonishing amount from this little scrap. But with no sex Louise, this previously useless lump is now functioning for the first time in its existence. Oh, my God. I just remembered where I left my retainer in second grade. (laughs) 
All right, let's continue. So throughout that entire article, this guy from the New York Times kept quoting another article um, from an, from this guy from the Guardian, and he was quoting it like, "Oh, this guy's the the intellectual superior, and he's really got the, his handle on these issues." So once again, uh, a word from our qualifying sponsor of. We're not pro-rape, we're not pro-creepy, but this extension of that there's some major flaw in all men and that we got to redo all of culture because of what some people in the upper echelons of great jobs are doing to people uh, at their jobs, I don't think is relevant to any of us. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Come on my program. Let's debate it. Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. We can eat some quesadillas. We can compete over who can read article numbers quicker. We can make a whole day out of it. But this is from The Guardian. Um, it was stop blaming sexual harassment victims confronts culprits, men exploiting power. So here was one of the paragraphs from this article, um, that I wanted to focus on because in truth, this isn't all that complicated. Hopefully the extreme cases of rape, of coercion, of an explicit threat of consequences, if sexual favors are withheld are clear to most men already. As for the supposedly gray areas, Ruth Davidson helpfully distilled the key point. It isn't actually about sex, she said. It's about power. It's always been about power. I I, want to be accurate. It's always about power. For if one person is in a position of authority over another, even the smallest gesture can acquire a new and different meaning. Men need only think of their own working relationships with other men to realize that they already understand this deeply. The merest glance from a boss towards one colleague rather than another can be read by the office. Kremlinologist as a sign of preference and favor. I recall the editor who, with the tiniest arch of his eyebrow, I do not exaggerate, could signal a change in policy that would percolate through the entire organization. And like, dude, I thought I was neurotic. <laughs> like, if you're analyzing stuff this much, you've got a much bigger problem. Like, you're spending your whole life fearing things that are kind of irrelevant. No wonder you think the ladies have it so bad. Like, if you're all walking around this way, like, I'm an erotic person, and even I don't function like this. I want to help you guys out. This is not a male and female issue. You people are sick in the head. Like, let's read The tiniest arch of his eyebrow, I do not exaggerate, could signal a change in policy that would percolate through the entire organization. Then you need to reorganize, because that's a stupid way to live. Like, if this is really your standard... Uh, uh, for interaction, you have broken metrics. Like, uh, fine, uh, I, I agree. Of course you're walking around and you're seeing a problem in male-female dynamics because you're seeing a problem everywhere. You're looking at the way a boss perches his eyebrow and you're starting to give meaning to that like it, like his eyebrows are the fucking oracle. You, you guys are fucking idiots. Like, uh, of course I'm seeing the world differently than you are if you walk around with organizational structures. This is no way to live, people. Um, all right. That's all I got on the, uh, women issues. I got two other topics, actually three other topics I want to get into. And by way of warning, I guess these are a little bit more heady ranty nonsense than whatever that last chunk was. So, and there's no Yosef here. You know, I'm not offended if you want to take an episode off. I get it. It's, uh, it's a little bit too much of me for me also. So I get where you're coming from, but let's continue. So I read this article, I think it was in the independent from, in these intelligence services, um, and, Donald Trump, here was the headline, Donald Trump CIA director, Michael Hayden, Hayden, U.S. president, free speech, truth, press, press, amendment. All right, I don't need to start. I don't need to read every article title. That's stupid. Um, But this is what he said. If this is 
If this is who we are becoming, I've wasted 40 years of my life. Until now, it was not possible for me to conceive of an American president capable of such an outrageous assault on truth of free press, a free amendment. As a 39-year military veteran, I think now, I think I know something about the flag, the anthem, patriotism, and I think I know why we fight. And why I'm pointing this out is this to me, this is an appeal to an authority. It's like, we're over here and we're going, hey, I don't know that those wars were such a great idea. I think maybe we did some shitty things. I don't even know if this article is about war. But then this guy who was involved in wars goes, no, 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 I am the government. I'm the guy who did those things. And as the guy who went to fight those wars, I understand what's pa- what's patriot. Like, it's just, he's just saying, well, I since I had the title as the guy who gets to make these decisions, I clearly made the right decisions. We're like, no, no, no well, we're questioning what you did. Um, and the other thing, I, I didn't realize this. This just kind of scared me. I, like, this guy used to be the head of the NSA, and now he works at CNN. Isn't that like a little bit fucked up of like all the revolving doors shit that kind of happens in government? We all know that the NSA was spying on us. And I don't think you go from working at the NSA, having those contexts, really believing in what your agenda was at the NSA of kind of having a government knowing every detail of our, like tracking our data. It's fucking weird that they're tracking our data. That, that, like, that, the, there's no way around it. We just kind of ignore it, but like that is kind of police statey weird we we understand what people are able to do with data analytics and then you kind of read about everything that they're doing to know what we're doing all the time and this is the guy who oversaw that i believe and then he gets to go from that job to working at cnn the place where we're all supposed to go for our news like how do you not end up kind of living in a world where they're trying to have propaganda like how do you this is the guy that we're supposed to trust this is mr authority the guy who was at the nsa and how do you how do you go from a job at like i I almost think that that shouldn't exist like if there's really free press like i understand maybe i understand having those people on in the capacity of like um i gotta think about like almost a consultant for like you can I, i can understand having the guy there like Give me the argument of what you think would be the best way to handle foreign policy or give me like give me the breakdown of like I like I like getting both sides of the argument. Can you explain to me like you used to work for the government? How is the government seeing this? And fine, give give me the fucking, you know, neocon argument so that it's on the table. But I I don't know if the guy's kind of like behind the scenes also and he's kind of creating what the narrative is on the network or the research they're doing. I don't know. that, That just strikes me as a little bit weird and creepy. Um. So now on that point of government being able to have like an appeal to authority, because that's what I saw in Hillary Clinton when she's like, you know, 22 government agencies reported that the Russians did indeed. And it's like, well, those are the exact agencies that were questioning whether or not we should be trusting because they got us into these fucking wars. Like, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which sounds like a, it sounds like how can this agency not be helping me out? So I, got, I haven't done enough research on who they are and what they do. And I got to tell you, I read this incredible book. I recommend it. It's called Bailout. And um, read it a lot of years ago, so I don't remember it that well. But essentially, uh, when they created the TARP bailout money, part of the provisions in that was that there was going to be funding that went to basically looking, I think maybe just even how the TARP money was being spent by these large banks that were getting the bailout money. And then this book is all about how these guys, according to the person who works at the organization, was trying to do good things for the American public in terms of regulation um, and all the ways that kind of big money got involved and made sure that they weren't able to do their jobs. And one of the people that name was dropped extensively in that book was Elizabeth Warren. And from reading that book, 
I actually thought Elizabeth Warren was kind of on the money in terms of, um, I would say, her disdain for Wall Street, her skepticism of Wall Street. And while I think she's probably very wrong in terms of her regulation approach or being anti-free market, I do think the people on Wall Street are probably doing some things that don't help all of us in general, the economy in general. I think the starting point, I don't want to go into too much of a rant here, is kind of the Federal Reserve, the money that's, it, that's available to them, the insurance for them. It's all a big racket. But let's, 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 we're, we're getting too far into deep into the topic I don't want to talk about. So just to recap here. I think Elizabeth Warren probably has some uh, some good ideas for things she wants to do by way of Wall Street. I don't know that regulation really helps. I don't know all that much about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I do, however, know that there's something very scary about the government, like just putting something out and like as a factual claim, and then other people being able to say, "Well, the government made the factual claim." Like for example, like uh, let's say they made the claim like. Uh, 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 70% of Puerto Ricans who are qualified for jobs can't get jobs. I don't know why that guy sounds that way, but he does. And then all of a sudden, they then create a policy that if a Puerto Rican applies to your thing, and um, you know you, you have to hire Puerto Ricans until we get the percentage of Puerto Ricans without jobs down to 30%. And then like a couple years later, you look into the stats and you find out that they just fudge that stat. But for years, they're able to go, well, the government, they put out that study. To me, that's like the absolute just height of c- corruption. And so I read this article in the Wall Street Journal that um, basically accuses the kind of, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau of doing a very similar thing. So part of the issue with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is um, we don't vote who's in charge of that. They're not like a senator. There's no basically... Um, um, it's completely outside of, it's not a representative of us. It's completely outside of our control who works in that organization. And now Elizabeth Warren, who I guess kind of got the thing set up, set it up in a way where she put one of like her friends or someone she used to work with at Harvard in charge. And then the idea was whoever was in charge could appoint the next person. The problem with that is that let's say Elizabeth Warren's agenda is actually wrong or it's um, it's malicious, which is possible in government that you create something for um, private interest that, that I'm not saying that Elizabeth Warren did in this case, but there's definitely an opportunity for that with government. And if it's completely outside of our control where the person in charge can just keep selecting the next person without any recourse, well, then we're in a dangerous position here. Like, for example, imagine Rex Ryan, he works in the government now and he decides I'm going to create a new um, organization for the studies of some product that competes with uh, with fossil fuels. Like for, he's like, fuck oil. I want to do a real study on the uh, on the economic and uh, and environmental hazards that are caused by wind power. And then they create a government organization that's solely there just to study like flaws in wind power. And they come out with shit, but it that's worthless. But then you just start hearing an article about noise pollution, like thirty uh, percent of people that live uh, by. Uh, by uh by one of those giant windmills uh end up with disoriented thoughts being caused by the changes in the wind patterns and like all of a sudden that's just enough evidence to shut down all wind shit and you know you try and get a new person to that organization to go hey this is all bullshit but oh actually every single it's in the charter that every single person that works in that organization has to be hired by ExxonMobil now that doesn't exist in the world I'm just trying to point out what the flaws in the system of the current you know of just being able to outside of us voting having some sort of a recourse to making sure a check and balance that they're actually representing us if it's just you know the person in charge gets to pick the next person that's a bit of a flawed system there's no check on that so i want to read a little bit of this article 
Um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Let's revisit the history of this peculiar new agency. It was created largely at the behest of law professors and future Senator Elizabeth Warren as part of the sprawling Dodd-Frank legislation. Voila, an agency of the federal government becomes the dynastic possession of Mrs. Warren and her designated cronies. Vladimir would be impressed. Recall that he sought not to regulate their disclosures, but to ban a practice that he and uh, oh, so I'm, I'm skipping ahead in the art in the article. So that was what I was describing as being the problem is the fact that they that it's completely outside of our kind of oversight. So recall that he sought not to regulate their disclosures, but to ban a practice that he and other activists decided they didn't like, namely dealer negotiated interest rates on car loans, though the agency had no authority to do so. It is not possible to overstate the cynicism and opportunism what followed because he can't regulate auto dealers. He targeted banks that finance auto dealers because auto dealers are forbidden from collecting racial data on borrowers. The upstream lenders can't know the race of borrowers, yet Mr. Cardry charged them with um, disparate impact based on so-called Bayesian improved surname geocoding. All right, so everything I read so far, if you didn't follow it, don't worry. This is the important part, which assigns borrowers to a racial category based on their names and zip codes, though the, mes- though the method is not designed for such purposes and known greatly to overestimate the number of African Americans in the U.S. car buying population. Even this does not do justice to the disingenuous of the agency's method. Any person identified as having a black-sounding name who paid a higher rate than the average of people with white-sounding names was deemed to have been a victim of discrimination. Never mind that many people with white-sounding names also paid a higher rate. The agency also got its desired results by deliberately overlooking the fact that dealers have different business models with those who specialize in low-end cars tend to making most of their profit from the dealer interest rate markup. By such means, the agency fabricated, there is no other word, evidence of racial disparity in auto lending to shake money out of lenders without effective court appeal because the agency was able to hold necessary approvals. The bank sought from other blah, blah, blah. That's not, okay. I think I, I think I've read too much information to you guys this week. We're going to, we're going to try and steer away from that in the future, unless maybe you liked it. I don't know. Rob's newsroom at gmail.com. You can tell me your thoughts, ideas, comments, whatever you want to do. Um, but what's scary about that is you have a government agency that's got, according to this guy, this is a, an opinion piece, but they have a flawed statistical analysis to create data of that businesses are being racist. And then like Elizabeth Warren, she can go on the campaign trail next next year and start going, I want to fight against racism. I know that you guys aren't able to get the loans that you need. You're trying to raise families. And the white, the white people out there are discriminating against you. And I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. I want to make sure that you have the same chance as other individuals. And it was, came from the government itself, the fact that there's a statistical analysis of racist behavior in this country. And it's like, no, that's an agency that you created that taxpayer dollars went to. It was supposed to serve the cause of, I guess, uh, financial, what's the official title here? The, the fancy title, the fancy name that you read in the news. How can you get rid of that? The consumer financial protection bureau. And then you went down and you did flawed analysis to play into this, uh, you know, white black narrative that wasn't even true. How scary is that? that the government has the power to do that. And then people can go on the news and go, well, the government said that the government did the study. So clearly don't trust anybody except for me. You know, I'm the one guy that you can trust. Okay. Okay. So last week I came up with this idea of like basically a crowdsourcing for volunteer work. I think it's a smart idea. Just matching people who have the time and resources to volunteer with those who could use a little help. 
I think it's a great idea. Uh, for about three days, I was like, I'm going to quit comedy. I'm going to get this thing started. I, I spoke, my uncle's a tech guy. I had a conversation with him over Thanksgiving with it. And then, you know, I have ADD in a life. It's already, it's already a full four. That was a full four days ago that I had that idea. <laughs> so it's on my wall. It's something I, I'd love to work on. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll meet some smart college kids who want to develop an app who, uh, you know, I can convince them that instead of saving the whales that they should, uh, try and save humanity. I don't know. I don't know that that's ever going to happen. It was a good idea. Um, but I had another great idea that's never going to happen. And so, um, I want to, I want to save it for next week. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm tired. I don't have Yosef here. I have more coffee I want to drink, some sales calls I want to make. So tune in next week for Rob's brilliant idea on what we can do to save the planet that I probably will never execute. All right. Later, dudes.
kind of woman be good to me Won't hide my look or try to turn my teeth Thank you.